The long night is coming. And the dead come with it. Beware, spoiler phobes. You have stumbled upon a storm of spoilers. A podcast about HBO's Game of Thrones series in conjunction with the Song of Ice and Fire books by George R.R. R. Martin. This discussion can expand to include any Game of Thrones relevant books, shows, internet extras, special features, teases, trailers, interviews, rumors, guesses, theories, and general crackpotitude. We're not ruining, we're enriching. After all, chaos isn't a pit, it's a ladder. You do not wish to be spoiled or are not caught up. Please stop now. The realm. Do you know what the realm is? It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. But what do we have left? Welcome to a storm of spoilers. My name is Dave Gonzalez, and I have not read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. I'm Joanne Robinson. I've read every book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And I'm Neil Miller, and I've read all the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series, but I have not yet read where anyone has transcribed the new Damp Hair chapter that he read at Balticon this past weekend. So I feel like I'm behind now. Oh, that's a good point. We do we did get a new addition to Winds of Winter chapters for a book. No that spoilers. We are I haven't read it yet. We're assured it's going to come out sometime in the future. Well, I guess there's like some sort of honorary code where people at Martin events, where if you read a chapter, people don't record it or don't just transcribe it. Um, we we've had we had some listeners who were at the, the the convention and apparently this is a thing, but I was following kind of following it obsessively over the weekend and there were few people sort of putting out highlights and I would recommend as ever um, at Brendan Beefish uh, who's one of the best A Song of Ice and Fire people on Twitter he put sort of the highlights of the chapter up. And I'm sure you can find like a full transcript. I just think oh, that yeah. there's some sort saying, of, I'm not saying that I don't have it somewhere. I'm just saying, Oh, I yet. okay. Uh, well, if you care about codes and honor, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I say, as I talk about every production leak ever. So am I about I to know. get stabbed by my roommates when I walk downstairs <laughs> after this for breaking the code of silence or my, Maybe. my honor and duty? Like the second time I saw Civil War, I saw it in 2D and like I knew the Spider-Man moment was coming up and like it had been released and like I just wanted to watch parts of it over and over again. So I had to like sit there and restrain myself from pirating part of Civil War just just out of love. So I understand if someone's transcribed things and they could live with that because I've I've become you guys so many times. I love. That, uh, I can't hold it against anyone. I love pirates. A pirate of love. <laughs> I got it. Yay! Yay! Love piracy. <laughs> it's like the Ironborn, but softer. <laughs> Before we get to this week's episode of Game of Thrones, uh, Blood of My Blood, we have to cross the meta moat to the citadel of Crazy Town, where we talk about the show on the show, beginning with some reviews. 
First of all, I want to address some controversy we had from uh, <laughs> last the new thing where I read uh, reviews and accents. Uh, my promise going forward uh, to those of you who think that I'm making fun of anyone, I promise I'm not. But my promise going forward is that I'm only going to review reviews uh, where the person has asked for their accent to be read aloud. So um, that's that. I really hope that that people aren't upset. It was never my intention. So. And my offer to do uh, an entire episode in a unique American dialect is, still stands. I'll do it if we need to offend ourselves. Because I live in Texas, so it's okay. <laughs> uh, I've been balancing. I've been now balancing positive reviews and negative reviews. But hey, we didn't get any negative reviews this week. So uh, the source one comes from Quack seventy six from from these here United States, uh, and they wrote uh, five stars better than crack cocaine. I'm entirely certain that I'm dedicating too much of my active brain cells to the Game of Thrones and this podcast. The mix of characters is great with a heavy dose of crack potitude. You would think that it might slow down. It, it might slow Joanna down now that we're moving past the books, but no. Her crackpotitude knows no bounds. I appreciate that she scours the internet to keep me on the edge of contemplating the next possibilities. They are funny and insightful and keep my brain spinning every week between episodes. Keep it up. Thanks, Quack76. Uh, the other review is from Marshmallow Oakenshield from Australia. Oh my god, that's uh, the best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alright, here we go. House of Honorary Koalas. If your morning commute takes you beyond the black stump, or you're an Eretz... No, I lost it. Shit. So close. <laughs> it was so I good. Do, I can do this. Okay. Host Serenary Koalas, if your morning commute takes you beyond the black stump, or you're an arrow outside the big smoke, this podcast is too right. Ignore the reviews as mad as frog in a sock. This is what you need for your weekly shout-out of Game of Thrones. The hosts of blimmin' legends who've got toe-to-toe with a platypus and live to tell about it. One of them has a few kangaroos loose in his paddock, but the others give him a fair go. Anyone who whinges about Joanna's SJW spiels can crow themselves on the barbie, because this podcast is an absolute corker. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like you're lost Hemsworth right now. <laughs> so please do write in if that went from Australian to New Zealand to Scottish to whatever. But that's that's I, I will tell you my advantage here is that two things. First of all, uh, there's a great YouTube channel called Alt Shift X, uh, which I'm sure most Game of Thrones obsessives have, have discovered. That guy. Uh, pretty sure is Australian. He might be New Zealander, but I'm pretty sure he's Australian. I've listened to him talk about Game of Thrones a lot. Uh, also, my Siri is a male Australian voice. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's just also true. There's just so much to unpack here. <laughs> yeah. There's just a lot going on. Well, here. Well, let me see if I can get my Siri to say something. Um, I The female Siri just annoy the, the bejesus out of me. Okay, let's say Siri, is Jon Snow dead? Oh. She's not... Rolling radio. Never mind. All right, you can edit this out. Hey, fun fact. Um, The woman who does (laughs) the voice of the American Siri, her name is Susan, and she follows me on Twitter. Oh, I apologize to her that I hate her voice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, now there's a chance she might access this. (laughs) But, uh, you know, we're tight, so I'll let her know to get a better voice next time. I didn't think this would be terrible radio, but apparently it is. All right, that's it. I'm done. Oh, oh. <laughs> we're not trying. That's how Australian we're going to start Siri this again. episode out. 
Very well, then. If you want to leave reviews, please do. Uh, they help us sort of rise through the ranks, which we've been doing admirably uh, with your help. And then also give us new avenues to embarrass ourselves of our own volition, which mm. is always welcome here on Storm of Spoilers. Um, Neil, we got we got one more, oh, one yeah, more, one more talking about the show on the show bit. Uh, something that a lot of people have done and we appreciate fantastically, we uh, adore you all, is you can now leave us a tip. If, uh, if you think that free is not good enough for Storm of Spoilers, uh, you can go to paypal.me, paypal.me slash Storm of Spoilers and leave us a tip. Uh, the podcast is always very much free. Our opinions, very much free. But uh, if you'd like to help us out, it's, you know, greatly appreciated. It's pretty awesome. A lot of people, more people than I expected have done it already. So there, there's that. That's the statistics. We are forever thankful. And then, you, yeah, like, like between reviewing and tipping, there are totally ways that you can pay us to shame ourselves or just have us shame ourselves for free or just pay us for times we've shamed ourselves in, in the previous time. Like, say, you you know said casual instead of causal for an entire episode of another podcast. There's a lot of crazy things that go down, but none as crazy as cold hands actually showing up on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Uh, I know we've been predicting that this was going to happen, but you guys have been telling me this is going to happen for a while, and when we were doing a boneyard of uh, book characters that would supposedly never happen, we debated about putting cold hands in that boneyard several times. We might have actually done it at some point uh, after, you know, Bran got to the tree and we knew we weren't going to, like, spend a lot more time up there for the next season, but here we come. Bran and uh, Mira are running away from uh, a very well-held door, and the Whites come, and they're saved by a guy that, uh, to some people, was instantly recognizable as Ben, uh, ben Uncle Benjamin. But uh, my first reveal was his black-tipped fingers, and I was uh. like, "Oh shit." <laughs> Um, but I guess one thing to clear up for people that have uh, also listened to this podcast for a while, isn't it Cold Hands not Uncle Benjamin, according to George R. R. Martin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's. I mean, not only are there contextual things like how old he is or says he is, or also his like association with the Three-Eyed Raven makes it seem like they knew each other before they were both dead or and or plugged into a tree. So there's that stuff. But then there's also this, you know, great note in the margin. Do you, Neil, do you know where that photo even came from? Because I saw it a couple uh, it years ago. But... To, there's a library at uh, Texas A&M, actually not far from where I am. Great. Uh, someday I'm going to have to go see it for myself. Uh, <laughs> they went and there's an original manuscript of uh, Dance with Dragons. Right? So there's an, yeah. Yeah, it's dance. And so there's a, there's a note in the margin from the editor being like, Hey, it's Cold Hands, Uncle Benjamin. I think it is. Come on. Blah, blah. And then there's in red from George R. R. Martin. No. And circled. <laughs> Just no. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, there's, it's a two part question. It's like, is Benjamin Uncle Stark, uh, Uncle, is Benjamin Cold, Cold Hands? And also, does Bran never recognize him because he never uncovers his face? And so some people today have been wondering if the no is in response to the second question. Um, but I, I, I really feel very, sure that in the books for better or worse 
uh, Uncle Benjamin is not cold hands and that I think he should be, though. And so I think the show sort of combining these two characters, which is something they've done a number of times, uh, is is quite smart and great. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of the times that combining two characters from the books is actually going to work out in their favor. Yeah. Because it's giving it's giving fans, especially book readers, the kind of closure to Benjen's storyline that I don't know if the books are ever going to give unless Benjen actually does show up at some point. Uh, so it makes it makes sense. The show doesn't have to add any new character. They don't have to be confusing with cold hands. Uh, you know, hashtag efficiency is coming. And uh, I think it, it works really well emotionally for Bran where he's at. And I do think it's interesting because Dave mentioned that we had once debated in putting him in the graveyard or in the boneyard of characters we'd lost. But it makes sense now that they shuffled it around a bit because Cold Hands is there when Bran is getting to the Three-Eyed Raven. So all of this, all the magical, mystical, crazy stuff from the books that we've talked about wanting to see, so Cold Hands, Lady Stoneheart, Jon Snow's resurrection, it, it all kind of seems that the show was never ready to give us that until the Jon Snow thing. And now it's like, and, and until we're introduced to Three-Eyed Raven and what he can do. So now it's now that, that door, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, is open. Being held no, open. <laughs> no one is holding the door closed anymore. Uh, that the show can now kind of go there. And Cold Hands can serve a different purpose. And he I can think be Benjen. I think that's right and really smart, uh, and I and I think it has that that perspective as a nice parallel to the books, which is all about magic flooding back into the world, like as a movement. Um, so you could almost say that Jon Snow is like the the catalytic like magic thing that's like they've already talked about how the theme this season is rebirth, but I think more accurately it's resurrection, especially if we want to believe that Lady Stoneheart is coming next week. That's right. going to be three resurrected Starks in one season. So, um, you know, which either might be overload or just might be, okay, I'm on board. I'm, I'm ready for all of this. So yeah. Well, yeah. Did in you, the books, the, the, the inciting thing that brings all the magic back is when Danny's dragons are born. But I think the show was at the time, not in a position to, go there from mostly from a budgetary standpoint i would imagine they weren't ready to to do all these magical resurrections and stuff like that that could have existed in like season four i also think one of the theories is that they didn't want to spoil the twist of john's resurrection by having like all these other resurrections happen first and then be like mm. well duh of course john's back. i mean it wound up being anyway well duh of course john's coming back but you know in their mind maybe they were like well if we have too many resurrected starks running around the place people are never going to believe when a stark goes down um so i don't know if that's part of it us when we kill rickon <laughs> uh with an arrow through the leg um dave <laughs> yeah are you saying you didn't recognize benjen like until his second scene like do, once you saw his eyes above the the like mask did you feel pretty confident that it was benjen or did you have to wait for like the full reveal i had to wait for the full reveal only because i uh it was possible i just had confirmation bias from talking to youtube boneheads all the time <laughs> being like oh here comes uncle benjen his cold hands but I was lucky enough to, like, during the theme song of the episode, like, slip back into uh, wide-eyed show-watcher-only mode. So, no, I let, the, I let this episode lead me along, which 
ended up uh, leaving me more confused on some storylines than I was until like the second time I watched it. But uh, yeah, first time through, I, I gave it the benefit of the doubt that I might not be able to recognize actor eyes. So it was still like a good moment. And then also uh, to see the makeup on his face and like get the whole half half white, ex- right? Or half? No, he's not a white. He's a half white walker experience. No, he's like a half white, I think. It's confusing. He was on his way to becoming a white. A white, yes, but then they but used White Walker Maker technology to bring him back. So, uh, right. yeah, I would say it's a whole mess, Kinda whatever's like, going on the inside. Guy in season one, that Jon Snow, that they bring the body back to Castle Black and it reanimates. Yeah. Like, he kind of looked like a person, but yeah. was undead. And so I think it was kind of like in that state. And then the Children of the Forest stopped him from kind of degrade because i always imagine like the skeletal whites are whites that have just been like that for a long time right he was right. a fresh white decay. yeah but i don't but i don't think he said whether or not he actually died first before they came along he said they left me for dead and then the children of the forest came along and they stopped the transformation process so like it would make sense to me that he dies and then they jam a dragon glass shard in his heart and then he's like a a good white or a white with a personality. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think so, one of the main okay. I think one of the main reasons that I recognized him is because uh, I just recently watched this movie called The Hollow with uh, Joseph Mall, who plays Benjamin Stark. He's the main character. Uh, it's a crazy Irish horror movie where like fairies are terrifying, and he's trying to like save his family from these awful fairies that are trying to kill them. And it sounds cheesier like than it actually is. Kind of like Game of Thrones, <laughs> except he's working with the crazy fairies. Yeah, instead of instead of grenade bombs, it's like uh, weird shards in your eye that turn you into fairy. Anyway, it's 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 cool. It's a cool little horror flick. The Hollow Old School Fairy Definition. Yes, fairy with an E and an R I E, probably. Yes. Um, uh, so you recognized him because he was also like co- covered in blue makeup and. He's got uh, knitting he's, his brow a lot in that movie. He, he's got recognizable eyebrows, but maybe it was just confirmation bias, as you say. I don't know. I mean, what I like about uh, Benjamin showing up is that I like the the addition of somebody else to uh, uh, bounce whatever brand's seeing off of off of that was able to give viewer information. But I feel like in the novel, like if cold hands were to not come back after they're chased away from the three eye Raven, it'd be fine because you'd have point of view flashes instead of the completely crazy show flashes, which I'm glad are there, but are also like just vague enough to frustrate me. I believe when we, when I predicted this would happen, I said, don't make me pirate your show game of Thrones to frame by frame things because I'm completely (laughs) capable of doing it. And that's exactly what they made us do, uh, with all brands, little flashes, but we did get, um, John Bernthal, King John, Mad King John Bernthal. (laughs) Burn them all. Yeah. We got the Mad King Aries. We've got Jamie as the, uh, King Slayer. We get the pyromancers and the wildfire, um, and, and an explosion. Is that is that an explosion that we've? That's a future seen explosion. Before? Everyone's pretty sure. Um, really? Yeah, because it didn't explode. The wildfire plot didn't happen in the past, right? So people are pretty sure that that wildfire explosion, just like this, uh, is something that's going to happen. And there's. Um, 
you know, there's a plot in the books where Cersei burns down the Tower of the Hand uh, during Marjorie and Tommen's uh, wedding feast. So mm-hmm. I think a bunch of people think that Cersei's going to burn down King's Landing using a bunch of uh, wildfire. And Jonathan Price, I mean, uh, this isn't a production spoiler interview. This is a actor loose lip sync ship uh, spoiler, which is that Jonathan Price implied that the way it all shakes out with the High Sparrow is that this, the doors of the Sept get locked. He didn't imply. He straight out said this, but it was a Polish interview. So I get like uh, mistrustful of uh, translations. But uh, the doors of the Sept get locked and that uh, the whole thing gets blown to bits uh, by wildfire and roast the High Sparrow and everyone inside of it. So mm. um, that could be coming. Um well, something I read today, which fascinated me that I hadn't thought of is, you know, how Daenerys had that vision in season two of like the burnout throne room and the what everyone assumes is snow coming down, but maybe it's ash. And so maybe like Cersei just blows up King's Landing. And by the time Daenerys gets there to conquer it, it's just a ruin. Yeah. So but we know. got the Drogon shadow over a not ruined King's Landing again. We did. We did. Well, I mean, Danny could fly over there like tomorrow if she wanted to. She, well, she's was, she's waiting on those ships, right? Apparently. Yeah, there was a brief moment where I thought that's how this episode was going to end, where she's like, will you give me the seven kingdoms? Come and follow me. And then just up into the sky. And we'd be like, oh, shit. <laughs> we can't fly. Uh, yeah. But anyway, well, I mean, I know you just called us boneheads, Dave, but we were right about cold hands. You were right about mm-hmm. the... King Aries flashes. I love it. I lovingly meant boneheads. I know you did. I know you did. <laughs> uh, it, but the boneheads feel vindicated. Um, so I don't want to, I don't get too cocky, but I feel like the wildfire thing is a, a predictive thing. Because okay. yeah, yeah. Aries didn't like blow, Aries didn't blow anything up. So we shall see. Yeah, I like the idea of bringing to, book things really back. He sure yeah. did. I like the idea of bringing book things back and repurposing them to make better sense of what's happening in King's Landing because I'm confused about that. But we're not there quite yet. Instead, we're going to jump across the sea and Arya goes and uh, we see some acting again by actors in slightly better wigs than the actual uh, royalty actors <laughs> or Heaven Christmas <laughs> this season. <laughs> Um, uh, and she gets a little laugh when she finally gets to see Joffrey die and then basically does one of the speculative things we suspected she would do, which is not be able to kill Cersei actress, uh, and get, gets her burn notice from the waif who <laughs> seems to have been waiting for this moment for a long time. I laughed to myself when she basically was like Jack and Agar, like you promised I got to kill her when she did this thing. Like me, I'm the one who gets to kill her. Well, it's so funny. Cause last week I said on cast of Kings, I said like, I didn't understand what the waif's like fixation on Arya was. And I got this really long response from like a, a very book learned listener about how I was misinterpreting that the waif did not have a personal stake in this, that it was just like the way of the training and like the whole thing about the house of black and white is that they are dispassionate. And then that person messaged me right after this episode and was like, never mind. <laughs> like <laughs> clearly the waif has an agenda. And if like, you know, if the show is taking liberties with the philosophy of the house of black and white, like, or, or not, I don't know. The waif seems like she's a bad student as well. Cause she's not, cool and calm and collected and and disconnected like she's supposed to be right well i do think that they went in the last episode to try to explain when jackin tells the story about the slaves and how you know no noble person has ever become a member of the faceless men so it's just it's almost like you know classism 
the show is playing on the classism where the waif was probably a poor orphan or something like that. Like, we don't know her backstory, but we know she wasn't from a noble family. And she sees this girl, Arya Stark, and she's like, yo, I need to check your privilege right now. Mm. And she just hates her for it. And I think that, you know, it's that classic outsider story when the noble outsider is noble to us, but to the waif, she is an invader of this thing that she's probably spent a long time becoming, which is a member of the Faceless Men. So I think that there's that. Also, Arya's story really sucks without some sort of adversary. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's really boring without someone trying to kill her. Yeah. So there's that. I liked I liked this week's. I mean, I liked this week and last week's episode. I almost wish that instead of training the faceless men, Arya had joined the theater troupe and we had just been with them for the last two seasons because that would have been amazing. Um, the question is, if she's like, if if as we have predicted and expected, she's you know the the waif is going to chase her. She's going to go on the run and like get chased back to Westeros. What was the point of all this? Like, will she take with her the ability to change faces or will she just take the ability to be awesome at staff fighting? Like, what did she learn from this plot going forward that will make it feel worth it? I mean, I think she has, as Jacken says, she had many gifts as a killer. I don't I, I don't think she can take the faces thing with her. But, you know, I could see Arya becoming kind of the Assassin's Creed hooded figure of Westeros if she wants to be. Um, so what did she learn? Like parkour and stick yeah, fighting? She learned, she, so I think what we see in, in these training montages is, is a small piece of what I assume the training involves, which is a mastery of poisons and a mastery of you know different ways to kill people. Um, the show hasn't really earned it, but I wouldn't be surprised if Arya goes back to Westeros and is just like a, like a ninja, you know, compared to all the people of Westeros who have none of these skills. Fair enough. Uh, Dave, do you think that that's likely? I mean, you guys are describing Batman, so I'm not sure <laughs> when I'm supposed to step in and say that. <laughs> I say Jacken is like Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, ba- basically, I mean, <laughs> okay. the oh my god, the other sexy Jesus would... <laughs> version of Russell. <laughs> the the uh, the uh, the other way, I guess, would be is that she comes back with a different philosophy about death. So that makes her killing somehow more just because she's seen that you know people who claim to serve a greater faceless god than vengeance are you know not not her people. I mean, maybe it maybe it was good therapy for like because when she left Westeros, she's pretty fucked up and damaged, right? And I feel like where we see her now, I mean, she's like cowering in the corner, holding her sword. But I don't know. She seems like she's in a better place. And that whole line where she says, "My father is waiting for me," which is you know her lie, her alibi, her her lie to Lady Crane. But like, it also just feels like this return to Starkishness, this return to like a stronger place mentally than she was when she left the Hound for dead. Um, you know, a couple seasons ago. Yeah. Is it just possible she's just doing Nymeria's, whatever Nymeria's doing with wolf packs, but the human version? But she doesn't have a wolf pack. She's all alone, man. She hasn't found her people. Gendry hasn't uh. wrote to her yet. <laughs> um, but this is all, what's important here is that this is all assuming Arya makes it out of this. So, and I think this leads us to our first listener question of the episode, which comes from at C. C. Sandberg. And it's, will Arya have to kill the Waif and Jacken to escape? And how does she avoid having to be on the run from the Faceless Men forever? 
which I think is really interesting for Arya's storyline because I can see her getting by the waif and getting out of there. There's no way she gets back to the face. I mean, if she was going to try and kill Jack and she would have done it already. Um, But even if she goes to Westeros, the Faceless Men are not like some like local club. They are a worldwide group of assassins that can kill anyone anywhere. And can look like anyone at any time. So yeah, so what is to say that Arya's story isn't somehow preempted by her getting taken down by the Faceless Men? My prediction is that Arya is going to make it as I think we all think she is. But also that I think she might have to kill the waif in order to get away. And that might feel like some kind of test for her. Right. Um, the, 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 the wall is getting a face, right? Like Jack and said, like someone's face is going up on this wall. Right. So um, yeah, I think she's going to kill the waif, but I don't know how that would stop Jack and from being like, you've seen too much. You must be stopped or something like that. Or maybe he just doesn't care. I have no maybe idea. Maybe he really was her friend the whole time. I don't maybe. know. I, it's tough to read because we don't really know if that's Jack and at all. Like we don't know if that's the man she met in Westeros right. anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't, I, I feel like this is going to be one of the things the show never really resolves. Like Arya's going to go about her business and we're never going to hear the faceless men again. Uh, it could be the thing that gives us our bittersweet ending after the ultimate battle's done. It's like, oh, and by the way, you still owe Jabba the Hutt money. <laughs> Into the Carbonite with you. Into the Carbonite with you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I guess my crazy answer to this question is maybe she is on the run and runs into some Greyjoys that need to go back to Westeros. Mm. And needs to cross a... She needs some ships. Everybody needs ships from the Greyjoys. Interesting. The only people with ships left, I would say. And uh, I guess that's also coming from the next on, where it seems like Yara's initial plan is to immediately return and get the Iron Islands back. <laughs> we ran away, but now let's go back. No, but seriously. Also, she got to Volantis real quick. Those were the yeah. best ships of the of the Iron Fleet, bro. <laughs> <laughs> They also they're uh, faster than Littlefinger's Mockingbird. Uh, yeah, powered powered by the same juice that drives the Mockingbird. Um, yeah, how? Do, okay, that's a good question. How does Arya get back? Uh, my selfish wish, because I love these actors so much, is that she f- hides in the troop and the troop goes to Westeros. That would be my wish. That the mummers mm. the mummers go across the sea. We'll see. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. That, that would be one one interesting way, I think. I mean, yeah. because they've done a really good job this season, because, like, we'll get to it, but I'm not sure we're going to see the Tarleys again. So they've done a lot of casting this season of people, you know, like Freddie Stroma playing Samuel Tarley's brother, maybe for one scene. I know Freddie Stroma's not famous, but, like, you know, after a great season of Unreal, he's kind of like, he's kind of a thing. And, like, you know, uh, Max von Sydow having three episodes, Ian McShane having one episode. Like, they're not above casting Richard E. Grant and um, Essie Davis for two episodes. But I would love to have this character stick around. I think they're so fun. And I think it's really obvious that the sta- the writers love writing for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. They love the meta commentary. The, yeah. The meta-ness of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Who says that we have should have any say in the line? Why does our opinion matter? 
Yes. <laughs> Asking oh, that yes. about the show all the time. Mm-hmm. But since you mentioned the Tarleys, let's uh, go for this week's Westerosi spinoff of Sam and Gilly try to make it in the world <laughs> with their racist parents. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, we take a break from everything more important that's happening and spend some time at Hornhill, uh, where we go through basically the family dynamic I imagined for Sam when I was introduced to him, except this time he's got a wildling, uh, wife, girlfriend, baby mama, and, uh, she wants to stand up for him and does. And then he makes a decision that I actually did not see coming because I'm assuming we were going to Old Town, but it looks like we're on the run. Yeah, Maybe. it's interesting. It's it's interesting. I feel like this whole scene, this whole thing existed so that Sam could get a Valerian steel sword. Like I feel like the whole reason this whole thing happened was so we could get Heartsbane in the mix. Um, but I agree. I also didn't see this coming. I was like, when he was saying goodbye to her, I was like, bro, how can you leave her there? Don't leave her there. Like this is gonna be terrible. It's going to be awful for her. Don't leave her. And then he came charging back in. I was like, whoa, Sam, you're the Slayer. You're a hero. (laughs) And Um, then he gets the sword. And I was like, who is this man? Yeah. Saucy. That's what he is. So, yeah, he has everything. uh, He's he's just trying to turn himself into John. He's got a wildly girlfriend. He's got a Valerian steel sword. You know, he's doing his thing. Um, A big question that people have is, you know, whether or not he actually goes to old town and like stashes Sam and Gilly somewhere safe or um, what is him having a Valerian steel sword going to help him somehow either generate more or crack some sort of uh, code about them to help the realm uh, fight the white walkers. I don't right. know. I don't know the answer. Someone uh, on Twitter pointed out to me the, the similarities between this and, and Neville Longbottom that Sam's going to Neville Longbottom himself. Just sort of, like, be the respectable alternative until the last moment when he does something cool. Yeah, but, I mean, it's not it's not quite, like, Godric Gryffindor's sword, because a couple people have Valerian steel swords, so he's not the only one with one. So I feel like he has to do something even more extraordinary with it than what John did, right? Well, sure, but, like, you could also... That moment could be just as big as everybody who has a Valerian steel sword gets to, like, fight the White Walkers, and he's there. And just being there, I feel, would be a Neville Longbottom-ish enough moment for Sam, because I was was all ready for him just to become uh, exposition man. Uh, Like, if Bran didn't, you know, have the right words to tell people things, Sam was going to be the one to be like, well, in the ancient writings, they say, and then we'd have to deal with that as a way out of some plot lines. But, you know, giving him a sword and a backbone means that he's going to go in a different direction for me. And now I'm interested if there's going to be like a Sam action moment that I get into. He already killed a White Walker, but I like, I agree with you. I like, I like Sam as not just the brain but also a conquering hero. Then he's the Hermione, right? He's, sure. He's got all the book knowledge. No, I mean, he could be the Neville. It's fine. I mean, well, we he's all... white, so he can't be Hermione. So let's set that, <laughs> set that line all... in the sand right now. We all know he's Samwise Gamgee anyway. So um, we just thought Samwise Gamgee was good for carrying packs, but turns out he's good for carrying hobbits. So, <laughs> wow. you know. Man, uh, is he going to talk about Master Aemon like the, like the gaffer? 
be like Master Eamon would have said, and we're like, shut up about Master Eamon. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, there are a couple of things I liked about this that have nothing to do with Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter. Weird. <laughs> One is that I think that they did a really good job of bringing Randall Tarley into the show with very little introduction. Because I think book readers have an advantage here where we know a couple things about Randall. You know, the show watchers really just knew that um, he was a big dick and that he sent his son to the wall for basically just being, like, fat and liking books. Um, but and Randall kittens, Tarly... And what? kittens... And kittens and velvet and lemon cakes. The description of, of Samwell before he went to the wall is just my favorite. It's so. very dainty. <laughs> He's the best. Okay. Um, so, but I think we also shouldn't underestimate uh, how intense this guy really is. Like, he is the guy, he's the only general who defeated Robert Baratheon during the Roberts Rebellion at the Battle of Ashford. He was the, uh, you know, and had he not been kind of stuck waiting outside um, uh, Storm's End for Stannis during the Siege of Storm's End, uh, he may have been the guy who would have turned the tide for the Targaryens during Robert's Rebellion, but while he he was basically uh, around Storm's End trying to get Stannis to give up the castle while Ned and Robert were defeating Rhaegar. So this guy is like way up there. And this is a, a season six thing where we're meeting through flashbacks and in present day these warriors who were just iconic in their day. You know, the Sword of the Morning and now Randall Tarley is kind of seen as one of the great master strategists of battle um, in all of Westeros. So I think they kind of give him... I was very happy with, with the way James Faulkner played him. Like You can just tell that this guy just... It's all strength all the time. Not that he's my kind of guy, but I can see how, why he would have defeated Robert Baratheon at some point in his life. Um, I definitely I also, like... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I also liked that you know this scene, in conjunction with the King's Landing stuff that we saw this week, which we'll get to, really does kind of show how the rest of the world has no idea what's going on. Because there is when Gilly says Sam killed the White Walker and old Dickie, uh, Dickie Tarly, uh, Sam's younger brother, is just like, doesn't give it a thought. He's just like, yeah, that doesn't exist. You know, that's not a thing. I loved, so, I loved Dick and Tarly so well, much. Dickon. Old Dickie. <laughs> and old, what, his sister's name is Tala. So her name yeah. is Tala Tarly. Yeah, it's, that's, that's rough. That's real original stuff, George. Um, <laughs> But I think that it, it's furthering this kind of narrative that all the stuff that's happening in the middle of Westeros is just such small potatoes compared to what's coming. You know, and next week we're going to get more speeches from Ser Davos about the living and the dead and the, the real war. And uh, I think it's an, it's an interesting juxtaposition of those two ideas that the show is trying to balance right now. And scenes like this are really great. Just... It's a great diversion from all the horrors that are to come. I loved it. I mean, like, as, as one of our listeners pointed out, it felt like 20 minutes was with the Tarleys. And I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really, really great. All great character stuff. Um, even if it was just, like, a big gambit to get that, that sword in Sam's head, they, hand, they did it in the most 
uh, interesting way they possibly could. And as you say, yeah, that's a great point, Neil, that, that we really do see how little what's going on uh, around the wall has reached um, the South. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a flashback to season one when like, yeah, or, or, you know, basically everything before hard home <laughs> when people are just like white walkers. <laughs> you mean? <laughs> Dragons, well, Brian, a myth. <laughs> yeah. I think Brian Cogman does a good job of giving Sam's nervous talking about how like literally winter is not coming there. It's like, there's not even signs of it. It's all green. You have different trees. This is so different than everything they've concerned themselves with for those characters most of their lives at this point. And it, it, yeah, it was, it was nice. When I say spinoff, I don't mean to say I disliked it. It was just so completely away from everything else in this series, uh, in this episode had me concerned with that, like, I started, my mind would occasionally wander to, like, design issues. Like, it, did they intentionally say that she would look good in blue and silver, but then put her in a gold and green dress just to, like, reference that goddamn Tumblr dress? Because I, that's what I kept thinking. If she's going to look good in silver and blue, why do you put her in a green and gold dress? That's, like, the exact opposite of what you said she'd look good in. Hold on, hold on. That dress was silver and blue. What? It was? Whoa! There you that- go. I saw that dress. It, I, mean, I swear, now it makes me think of that dress on Tumblr. But when I saw it, I was like, "Oh yeah, silver. Like that dress is silver, and maybe blue. I don't. I couldn't tell because it was so dark." When I saw it in like the firelight, and like when she first shows up, I swear that is a green and gold dress. But apparently, the cones and rods in my eyes are doing that thing again. Someone uh, brought it to who Game follows of Thrones. us on Twitter at Storm of Spoilers. Tweet us a color correct version of that and. Let us know what that actually is. Now, yeah, now I, it's going to haunt me. It's haunting me already. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up is how much it's haunting me. <laughs> but I enjoyed, I enjoyed that part, and I'm excited that of all the storylines to be going in a direction that I wasn't expecting, Sam and Jilly are like amongst those because they could have, it could have just been so bad. Gilly, not as Gilly. The, as the token female, I, I'm going to say green and gold. Hmm. Green. Yes. Yes. I'm looking at a photo right now. I'm trying to see what I think. I it think looks green so and- to me, especially in the scene where she walks out with it during the dinner scene. It's all tainted that's, by the candlelight. But that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the sort of when they're out on the portico thing, and it looks green. And gold that's to me. the thing. If they did that, why would they say blue and silver? So I'm starting to think that Neil's right, and we're crazy. But like, or <laughs> I'm being trolled by Game of Thrones about Tumblr pop culture. <laughs> Which would be cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a, it's Just, a new level for Game of Thrones. Well, yeah. it was kind. It was kind of crazy to me that Tala thought one of her dresses would fit Gilly when, like, Gilly was like a foot taller and better endowed. Like. Anyway, I'm just saying. But she's like, I've got a dress you can use. I'm like, do you, Tala? Okay. <laughs> <Tala Tarly. laughs> do you? Should be. Should be shorter. Okay, that was terrible. Please, please mm. forget I said it. All right. Moving on. So we have a listener question before we get out of Old Town from uh, Blanga Danger, who says, where will Sam go now? Did we come up with a definitive answer to that? I don't have a good answer for that. Like, it's I stare into the flames and it's completely blank. Because it would be hilarious if he just went back to the wall, right? That would be super dumb. He wouldn't do that. So what is he going to do? I feel like it's still... I think he still goes to Old Town. Like, from a production standpoint we know 
that Old Town is a location this year. So if Sam doesn't go to Old Town, who the hell's going to Old Town? Yeah, that's a good point. We're going so to Old I Town. Think, I think maybe they make a stop in Old Town. I don't think it's. I don't think he's going to become a maester now because there's no way for him to really stash Gilly and the baby. But um, I still think that what this scene proved to me, where he steals the sword, is it proved that Sam still has eyes on the prize. Like even though Sam was just berated by his father and he was put in a really terrible position with having to potentially leave Gilly there. He still knows what's really important, which is I need to get that Valerian steel and I need to move on with my mission. Um, so I think still going to old town and, and trying to maybe accelerate some learning seems like a very Sam thing to do. I like right. the idea of maybe using the Valerian steel to reinforce his white Walker argument. If it goes over as well as it did in Horn Hill, maybe the wildling who saw him do it and the Valerian steel and the night's watch guy will convince somebody there to get their button gear. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. 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 All right. It's time to go to King's landing where we learn why the separation of church and state is one of the things (laughs) that the United States uh, likes to do. (laughs) Uh, oh man, okay, so, uh, Marjorie gives this speech to Tommen, where, first time I watched it, I'm like, she's trying to, like, let Tommen in on the fact that she's, like, doing something to, like, get off, she never lets him, uh, finish what he wants to say about the High Sparrow, she just agrees with him before he, like, finishes, but now, knowing her endgame, that she was, like, manipulating Tommen the whole time... I'm unsure why she was so cagey or if this is uh, a Marjorie. But then once the Kingsguard shows up and Lady Olena steps out, Marjorie gets this look on her face like if I knew this was happening, maybe yeah. we wouldn't be in this situation. Yeah. But by then it's too late because Tommen uh, steps out and does a two-hand uh, raise with the High Sparrow and Marjorie on either side of him and uh, Lady Olena, who is our barometer on all things King's Landing, uh, says that they got beat. And that's it. Um, this is what happens when there are too many Tyrells. Too many Tyrells <laughs> <laughs> trying to plan something. <laughs> You're going to have a mess. Too many large feathers. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I believe that in that scene with, with uh, Tom and the reason she wasn't sort of letting him finish, sent- she was just trying to steer him, I believe, uh, and continually trying to take his temperature. Because if he hadn't... Um, like given her enough of an indication that he could be fake converted, she was going to have to play a slower game, right? She couldn't just come out and say like, don't you think we should convert and get me the fuck out of here? You know, but like once she saw that the door was open and he was like so dumb that he was already there, she's like, ah, yes, don't you agree? Yes, this Mm -hmm. is great. This is what we should do. Also, my gay brother, let's help him. I'm just saying, let's do it. Yay. Um. <laughs> Did you say that, though? Because Jamie gets dismissed faster than Gay Brother gets released. I, I, I'm actually... Someone just sent me a, like a behind-the-scenes from episode four where Finn Jones gave an interview with a like with his head shaved. So Ooh. Loris might actually be doing a walk, actually. I don't know. Or maybe he just joins the... 
the face. Oh, it, it's not quite shaved. It's like cropped, like Cersei's one. Like it's not mm. buzzed. It's like hacked, uh, which is weird because didn't we see Finn Jones in full like mountain men mode in um, anyway yeah, a Marvel show? Didn't, isn't didn't Lady Olena say that like that's not going to happen to any member of her family? Yeah, but now Marjorie's calling the shots here, and if she's just like, listen, this is the most expedient way to get us where we need to be. I also saw another theory that someone thought uh, Loras would fight. Uh, I think this was an email that was sent to us, right? That Loras would be the Fates champion against the Mountain in Cersei's mm-hmm. trial by combat. I'm increasingly convinced that Cersei's trial by combat is not happening. Um, we all know my anti-click game ball stance, but uh, but it might be interesting to see Loras in there. I don't know, but yeah, isn't he the one that knocks the Mountain off his horse at the tourney? Yeah, one. yeah, by cheating, by bringing out a he was riding a horse that was like in heat. And oh. that horse, that horse, uh, messed with the mountain and then the mountain, that's why the mountain chopped the head off of his horse. Cause his horse wouldn't behave because of pheromones. And, uh, and so then he chopped and then he was going to kill Loris and that's when the hound intervened. Uh, so yeah, Man, it would be, be interesting it, to have a scene where there's like that whole conflict is mirrored in some way by like Loris and the mountain going to fight and the mountain's going to kill him. And then like the hound shows up again. That'd be cool. Maybe like Clegane Bowl. I think that's what we could call it. Um, <laughs> but enough this about Clegane that. This Clegane Bowl thing, thing is happening. But but what Marjorie accomplished, and, and Natalie Dormer gave an interview about this back in November, that she was like, Marjorie's going to uh, fool some, some bitches is what's going to happen. Uh, so she got Tom away from Cersei for good, got rid of Jamie, uh, consolidated her power, uh, got her ass out of jail in theory. Like, you know, she pulled a power move. It's real, uh, doing this real high level gamesmanship. Yeah. If this is her plan. And I think it does it. It's in character for Marjorie, because if we think about like, what's Marjorie's defining goal in this whole series is she just wants to be queen. Like that's it. She just wants to be queen. Um, and I don't know if she, would she forsake her family or is there more to it? Like, I feel like there might be a conversation. This actually is part of leading us into a listener question, which we got from at Jack, no lantern, uh, which is, do you feel the defeat in King's Landing is what leads Olenna to say, fuck it and head to Dorne to align with Targaryens. I think maybe that's part of Marjorie's plan as well. You know, maybe there is a conversation between Olenna and Marjorie where Marjorie reveals some kind of master plan to her grandmother and says, you know, I want to be queen, but, you know, if you want to get back at the Lannisters, maybe you should go talk to the Dornish. But Would she know that? What? Would she know what? Oh, about the Targaryens? I think it could be as simple as you need to go talk to the the Martells. I feel like you're right that where there's going to be a conversation between Elena and Marjorie where where they're like you were scheming I was scheming what like the, oh man but <laughs> I don't hell, think we're <laughs> I don't think we're going to see it I think we're going to see it well I know from the next time on preview that we're going to see Elena tell the Lannisters like you fucked this up this is all your fault I'm leaving and the Tyrells leave and Marjorie is still there. And then I think in the finale, we're going to get a big mic drop of like what the Terrell long game is mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah. So I think it's going to look like Mar- uh, Elena tucking tail and running, but really she and Marjorie are going to be same paging going forward. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think that Marjorie, you know, from a strategic standpoint, uh, if we're just talking about like <laughs> like political theory here, um, it, her best alignment right now is with the faith, because the faith holds Cersei's fate in their hands. Right. And so if she gets on the side that is against, that could win against Cersei, that's where she wins. Because then she wins Tommen, she wins the queendom by herself, and uh, that's really what she wants. I think if you align with the faith either way, you win Tommen back. Because even if Cersei blows up the faith while Tommen and Marjorie are supposedly part of it, that turns Tommen against Cersei. So I think either way... Mm-hmm. Like keeping Tommen on the side, whichever side she would choose would divorce it from Cersei. But it'd be interesting to see if this, you know, brings about some horrible death. My favorite listener email about <laughs> Cersei's trial by combat, uh, combat was that the Faith would choose Tommen as, <laughs> as yeah. the champion, and the Mountain would have to kill Tommen. <laughs> it's a good crackpot theory. I just like it because in that five minutes, I'd be cackling and <laughs> the rest of the world would not matter. Stupid Tommen. Poor you know sweet that, summer child. Uh, Dave, do you know that someone started a fuck Tommen subreddit? No. I could probably join that Reddit, though. Yeah, to take the place of the fuck Ollie Reddit. So. That's kind of harsh, though. Because Tommen, Tommen didn't kill anybody we like. Uh, yet. I think that was Ollie's big sin, was that he killed Egret, and also that he was a show-invented character. Like, I always liked Tommen in the books. Like, I always felt really bad for him, because he was well, such a nice kid, and he loved his cat, and um, but also he, he just let, wanted to have sex with Marjorie, and, he, like, he got screwed. But he's, like, a baby in the books, and they aged him up, and so then, like, his, his behavior... I mean, like, he does a good job looking, like, kind of slack-jawed and glassy-eyed, but, like, when he's sitting on the Iron Throne, like, he's as tall as Joffrey was, so you get, like, some weird flashbacks to terrible boy kings. But if he was that, like, cute, adorable, little roly-poly original Tommen, um, yeah, of course I'd feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy is too, too tall, too handsome. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> to not sorry, take responsibility for him. <laughs> I mean, he's going to die. So we just should, we, maybe this is just our way of not getting too attached to him because he's definitely going to die. So yeah, fair enough. We should have learned the our op- lesson with Odor. <laughs> well, this is like the opposite of Stannising where instead of making us like him more, we're just disliking him more and more. But I guess, no. Nah. All right. Is there an obvious side to pick on King's Landing? Because I feel at this point, like, it feels weird being on the Lannister side, but that's technically where I feel like I, I am emotionally. I feel like the side that I'm on is Lady Olena taking the Tyrells and aligning with the Targaryens. Like, that's the only family I want to see survive this. So I want them to align themselves with someone who actually has a chance to win. Because as much as I like the Lannisters... Like I like to watch them do terrible things. Uh, they they just feel so insignificant now. Like all of this feels so insignificant. Yeah. Um, compared I'm to t- what is coming. I'm Team Jamie getting out of his King's Landing plot this season, where he was just basically like Cersei's right hand man, and it was deeply boring. Um, and also, I mean, book purists will to n- say the right hand. I did, I did. I'd take a one-handed shot. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, book readers know that you know Jamie finds out about Cersei's infidelity, and he basically cuts ties with her to like see him back 
in the like Cersei incest plot feels like a real retread for the character. And I like him getting up and out of there, hopefully interacting with Gwendolyn Christie rather than Lena Headey as a scene partner, even though I like Lena Headey so much. But um, Jamie was always more fun when he was, you know, part of the Brienne stuff. And I just think he's been stagnant in King's Landing this season. But like watching him drop his Kingsguard armor on the ground of the throne room was, I thought, pretty great. I also really liked him in that scene, like uh, the Sept, even though he, he lost, like that horse charging up the steps like really, really thrilled me. So um, scowling. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was pretty great. So I'm excited to see him. I just wanted him. him to yell during the scene where he's like, takes his armor off and just be like, cause he's given all the reasons why Tommen should like, you know, continue to keep him. I just wanted him to be like, also I'm your fucking father. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the hell dude? Why are all my children so ungrateful? You guys except are for that- all shitty. Except for that nice girl one, but she died in my arms. It was real sad. (laughs) You guys remember that happened? It was only a few weeks ago. Um, What happened to that? No consequences whatsoever. I hear Dorne is maybe run by women now. But in in River Run, important things are happening. (laughs) Which we know because Walder Frey talks us through uh, everything. The Blackfish is back. Uh, Frey wants uh, River Run back. It's gonna lead to our siege. Uh, perhaps most notably for Storm of Spoilers listeners, you would uh, have caught the Band of Brothers shout out, which feeds the Brotherhood without banners. Brotherhood without banners shout out. Band of Brothers was the HBO series was of World War Two. Great, great. Was also mini series. <laughs> um, but that being said, uh, Lady Stoneheart could still be in the mix. Uh, the exact same episode that Cold Hands came in. Um, is there anything else that I missed from this that wasn't just a recap uh, or baiting me with things that uh, I mean, so might be coming? Let's admire David Bradley for pulling off that recap exposition dialogue so well. Like, I mean, it was great to see him back. David Bradley's always great as Walter Frey, but like, yeah, they gave him this really shitty task of reminding viewers. Hey, here is the Red Wedding. Remember who got married? It was Edmure. You don't recognize him? He's on Outlander now. It's fine. Uh, who died? Catelyn. Remember her? Okay, that guy right there killed her. Remember that. Remember it. Okay, good. Yeah. They um, do a good job of setting up like who these two random Frey sons are and what they did in the past so that when they die in episodes to come in this season, yeah. we will be like, yeah, screw that guy. He killed he- an unborn baby. Even though the like they the guy they ca- recast for Lothar Frey, who's the non beardy one, looks like Tom Brook, who is on Preacher now. Uh, Tom Brook was originally Lothar Frey, and he looks so much like the other Frey, meaning like you know dark of eye and like beardy and all this sort of stuff like that. They looked the same. This guy looks way different. And mm. I know that they just do that. They just recast Max von Sydow and they don't care that he looks nothing like the old three eyed Raven. But I was like, well, that was, I mean, that was a choice. Okay. But anyway, yeah, they're going to die horribly and we're going to cheer because, uh, when, when lady Stoneheart strings them up because, uh, they, you know, yeah. Or when a baby cooks them into some pies or something. Or when, or when a man really cooks them into pies, it's all going to be great. I feel like the pie thing's too subtle for the way this setup goes. And once again, I tried not to be confirmation bias, but 
he is like, you did this, you did that, and mentions the deaths of like the, some of the most beloved characters on the show. What sort of vengeance as viewership do we need to expect from that? Like, if it's not Lady Stoneheart, like, what does Brienne like kill them with her bare hands? Like, what makes me feel better about that? Mm, well, pies, I mean, pies. I don't pies is yeah. enough for me. I don't think. Well, I mean, I think we're we're definitely going to get Wyman Manderley, whether or not we get the pies and whether or not it's like for the Boltons or for the phrase. I don't know. Um, that whole the North is reminded thing that's in next week. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that that was going to be a, a Frey pie moment because, you know, Wyman says the North remembers twice in this like speech that he gives. Um, but now I think the North is reminded is a reference to Sansa and Davos going around trying to muster troops from the houses. Um, I think that that's what that's a reference to. So I'm not saying we're not going to get Frey Pies. I just definitely don't think we're going to get them next week. Um, and, and another possibility is if they don't do Stoneheart, which we're all hoping they do, but if they don't, they could still have the Brotherhood acting as a sort of fuck you phrase. Uh, not with any, not with the same degree of delightful personal motivation, but you know the Brotherhood could still capture them and string them up um, for their sins. Mm-hmm. So, I do mm-hmm. think, uh, and this is one of the things I've been thinking about. Uh, I kind of went back and reread a little bit of the Siege of River Run, and there is the thing about the the Riverlands, which I, the timeline now makes a little more sense to me, in that the siege of river run doesn't really go well for the blackfish. Like he ultimately loses the castle and escapes in the books. Um, so I think that by the time Brienne gets there, Jamie Lannister might hold river run. So when he, we see her in the like throne, well, whatever the hall in the courtyard, of, basically. of river run, uh, with the Tully banners, but wouldn't they have taken the Tully banners down if that were the case? Maybe, um, maybe, maybe not. I think okay. it, it helps identify the castle if they leave them up, um, to the, as far as the show is concerned. But I feel like the, the whole like treating with the blackfish, like when you go back and read it in the books, it's, it doesn't take very long. They threaten to kill Edmure. I think don't right. they give him don't they give Edmure back and then Edmure like gives up the castle to the Lannisters? Yeah. yeah, basically. So I think there's some loss to happen. So there's some time to kind of kick around the Riverlands, and I think it really does feel to me. I say this with all sanity. It really <laughs> feels like there's no reason to bring the Brotherhood back if you're not going to do Lady Stoneheart. I agree. And there's no reason for Walder Frey to talk about them to the degree he talked about him this week. So I feel like we may not get it this week. It may happen in episodes nine or 10, but man, it feels like she's coming now. It does. It really does. Some people are hard to not be super excited. (laughs) There, you know, there's a next time on where, um, Davos talks about you, you've got Davos talking about the the living and the dead and all that sort of stuff, which sounds so stonehearty. But then you've got this mysterious sort of like boot walking into frame. But I think that that is Bronn because we we've seen in the trailer we believe Bronn sort of kidnapping Pod, and there's some indication that their <clears throat> interaction is going to be kind of friendly, like that that Bronn's going to be making fun of Pod because you know they used to be Tyrion's men, uh, so they have a history. Um, but I think that that's what we're going to see is we're going to see like bronze boots, bronze arms. We're not going to know who's taken pod. And then it's going to be revealed to not be that much of a threat because it's 
Braun. But I'm not saying that we won't also get Stoneheart. But I think that's what that is in the trailer. Uh, oh, yeah. You... Yeah, that makes sense. There's another so, listener coming. option as to why to include the Brotherhood. Is Gendry with the Brotherhood? No. Because uh, they done did him wrong. so sure. I do. Well, I feel, I feel pretty sure. Why would he go back to them when they sold him to Melisandre, uh, which didn't happen in the book. So it's like a little different. That's some like vestigial book stuff, I think, happening. But um, it's interesting. The Gendry watch is really high. I uh, Someone told me that, that Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald mentioned Gendry on After the Thrones. And that might be why I got so many tweets today about Gendry, but I got a lot of tweets today about Gendry. And I was like, did I miss something in the episode that made us feel like Gendry was coming back? Uh, well, I feel so, like it's, it's the momentum of old characters coming back. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, why can't this guy come back? And there, there are, I mean, the loose threads are cold hands, Gendry, Lady Stoneheart. That's about it. Um, well the hound, there, which we'll see, we'll oh, see next hound. week. Yeah. Right. Um, so those, those loose threads are things that we, if you pay close attention, we believe are all going to be tied up. So Gendry is kind of the one off to the side that, I don't know, I kind of agree. I don't know if Gendry, I think if he's anywhere, he's with the Brotherhood, I suppose. But Joanna's right, like they didn't, they screwed him over. So, um, unless he's rowing to Bravos, I don't think he's coming back. To pick up Arya. Yeah, he's got to go get his his buddy and show her his new abs that he got from rowing. <laughs> someone yeah. suggest someone suggested that he's the one who made those like breastplates for the new Kingsguard that got turned around so quickly. That's got the new <laughs> insignia, the seven pointed star, and the crown. He's the I got a lot of metalwork. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That he just whipped those out without uh, you know any of the Lannisters noticing. Um, yeah, or yeah, that he's rode somewhere, that he's going to pick up Jorah. Who knows? I mean, who really knows? Pick up Jorah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's the one with the sense to know that when you leave anywhere, where you go is Dorne. Right. Yeah. Just row to I Dorne. Mean, as long as you're pro-women, I mean. it's uh, delightful there. So, yeah. Um, it seems like they could use some metalworking. I mean, like, maybe they don't want to use whips all the time. <laughs> I really like I'm I'm glad that I was right that the show did not care that uh Obara and uh was it Nymeria mm-hmm. or Ta- yeah it was Nymeria not Tain uh that Obara and Nymeria were in King's Landing didn't matter at all they came right. and then they're just gone and as far as we know they're fucking around Doran until the finale or whatever but like I- I'm I'm glad that that's the case because a lot of people are like well, why else would they be in King's Landing if not to be intricately involved in the plot in King's Landing and I'm like no please God no no sand snakes <laughs> So, you know, go, please. (laughs) It's an interesting observation that I've made now that things have started to kind of turn out like we predict them occasionally. We're definitely in like the Occam's razor point of the show because of the way it's, uh, I mean, television storytelling is simplified. It seems to be like we're, we're going for the easy answers. So it's like having a complex subplot about Dorne having being involved in King's Landing. 
I'm going to say basically seems impossible when it's already the most complex storyline that we have going right now is what's happening in King's Landing. Well, I know. And we fell victim to this last week and we were like, well, maybe Cersei ordered the death of Lady Crane and blah, blah, blah. And then the show's like, nope, it was that actress that Arya said last week. And we're like, oh, okay. I'm still holding out for someone else's behind Sons of the Heartbeat, though. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that part of the world, it's dragon time for Game of Thrones as Daenerys happens across Drogon after she decides she needs a thousand ships. Um, that seemed to be all we learned from the scene. She was imparting it uh, to Dario, but otherwise they just moved them slightly further down the canyon they were at last episode uh, to shoot some dragon stuff. But that being said... I really like the dragon stuff this season. Thus far, it's been really working for me. Uh, you know, one or two uh, neck ma- manacles not matching up aside. Um, I like how many of our listeners were very concerned about what Dave would think of the of the polygons <laughs> uh, on the dragons. There are enough polygons for me in this this final Drogon segment. It looks. I good. was. I. I I think it looked I think it looked mixed, but the final the like roar into the camera, that was killer. There was like some weird mouth connective tissue like wobbling stuff that I was just like, Whoa. Uh yeah, I thought that was Did great. Did you notice but, he's I rolling his shot, eyes when he does that? Yes. It's the shots good. of um from behind where like we're looking down on the Dothraki with Drogon standing there, those are the ones that kinda looked a little wonky, but yeah, the stuff where you see Drogon's face and his mouth, and it's really intense. I also think that it's important to note how much bigger Drogon is than the last time we saw him. Like, it's... She continues to look smaller and smaller on his back, which, uh, I, in my article this week, I posted a picture, an artist's rendition of Aegon on Balerion, the Black Dread, which is supposed to be, like, the biggest dragon in the history of Westeros, and he's, like, standing all the way up, and he is like half the size, like his full man height is half the size of the dragon's head. Um, yeah. So these dragons, they're doing a good job of like progressing them forward. I don't, it's hard to tell how much time has passed since the last time we saw Drogon. Like it could be weeks, it could be like a, you know, months. I don't think it's months, but I think it's like maybe six to eight weeks or so. Uh, and he's grown significantly. Uh, because there are probably many sheep out there in the Great Grass Sea that he could uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. feast upon. I, th- I think the bottom line is um, we n- he definitely ate that horse, right? That horse she rode off on? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <for laughs> like sure. She, she rode off on a horse, horse. Drogon definitely ate it right away. She's uh, like, I bought you a snack. <laughs> um, I pointed this out on, on the articles that I've written over on VF, but... Uh, you know, her speech is almost word for word the same speech that Khal Drogo gave in season one uh, when he talked about conquering the Seven Kingdoms. And um, I really do think that this it, the groundswell behind, um, you know, Daenerys as a villain or at least villainous uh, is really supported in this episode. You know, Neil was ahead, way ahead of the curve on that. But like her her giving this speech and for one, you know, we've seen her give a million speeches in a foreign language, sort of like booming, but usually she's talking about freeing slaves or doing something like that. And in this, she's just like, get me a kingdom. Cause I want it. <laughs> and like, that's what, you know, dictators do. She's not, she's no longer doing her fire and blood stuff with the shield of, of any kind of altruistic, um, ulterior motive. Um, 
you know, and uh, also, you know, showing showing Ares, not only do we have, like, the potential of a, of a wildfire plot later in the season, but um, that connective tissue between um, the Mad King da- Daenerys and, and King Ares is, was quite clear, I thought. Um, yeah, and I thought even Dario looked scared. So, um, <laughs> Jack Bender, okay. the director, <laughs> Jack Bender, the director of this episode in this great sort of 12 minute behind the scenes feature that's on, uh, HBO Go talks about how you should feel roused and horrified by her speech. And he says, I think she, he says she's not quite Hitler at Nuremberg, uh, but she's got the power. And so I think that's, you know, that's exactly what they're going for is like, you should be kind of terrified of this woman and not feeling like, yay, Danny, go burn the shit out of the Seven Kingdoms. You should remember that there are a lot of people in the Seven Kingdoms that we really like. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I think it's, there's, to, if to reach into a sphere that I have no business being in, there's no way that this isn't combined with the burning down of Calcon in the books. Because there's no I reason com- for these two things to be separate scenes. I completely agree. I think this really does confirm what we've been saying all along, which is that they didn't want to do night dragons or whatever. And so they were like, okay, day Drogon, night Inferno. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really do think that it's just going to be like one big, hey, look at my enormous dragon, follow me forever, Dothraki scene in the books. But we'll see when George finishes, if he yeah. does. <laughs> Until then, I mean, the more they grow, the less awkward she looks on their back. So I'm all for taking huge jumps in uh, dragon growth spurts. Uh, because I think that was a, a lot of my problem last season. It was the actual interaction points uh, between the CGI dragon and Emily Clark, Emily Clark weren't great. But now they've figured out a way to shoot around that where it isn't as noticeable. Plus... Uh, Drogon's little mohawk uh, sphere uh, uh, lines end before where Danny sits now, where she used to have to sort of like lean into him. So I think the design of Drogon gets better every year. I'm super psyched to see what in like a uh, mini season and a half uh, it looks like when it, uh, you know, flies yeah. over King's Landing and destroys some shit. She no longer looks like. Atreyu awkwardly on the back of Falcor, right? Like it looks <laughs> like a different a different position here. Right. And they let it kick up some dirt and they put some shine lines on it and it's they're they're learning how to shoot this thing in the right way, hopefully so the you know, entire process will be perfected enough when it needs to actually do some shit. Um how clunky was that thing where they where they were like Daenerys needs a thousand ships? Right after Euron was like, I'm going to build a thousand ships. Like, that was <laughs> so clunky, show. It's definitely not some uh, some George R.R. R. Martin dialogue. Uh, no, you're better than that. <laughs> you're better than that, show. Come on. Uh, you know, if even if she just said, like, I need a lot of ships. But, like, the whole, like, naming a number and it being the same number, I was like, Jesus Christ. Dario, master <laughs> of math. Tell me how many ships I need. Well, you've got this many second sons, this many unsullied. Um, we're gonna have to have some dragon food. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a thousand. It's like the yeah. Sim City of traveling to Westeros. <laughs> is what you're describing. It's horrible. Well, but given that it just took uh, Yara 24 hours to get to Volantis, it shouldn't take them that long. 
it also, is a narrow can a narrow just fly wherever she wants in the world now i know I but like this is getting lost she doesn't need a ship her people need ships but like can't she like go scout in westeros and or can't she like get some big nets and sort of just scoop the Dothraki up in like giant nets that Drogon clutches in his talons. <laughs> Wouldn't that be more efficient? <laughs> I feel like she's just not being creative here. <laughs> but what if she goes to the Greyjoys instead of Euron coming to her? Well, yeah, but but the number she of ships really is what anybody. the number of ships is what weirded me out because like Yara has a hundred max, but it looked like less to me. And Euron was promising to build a thousand. So. I don't know if Yara like meets. I really do feel like Yara and Theon are going to meet up with Daenerys. I just don't know how and whether or not she's going to be like that's a nice offer, but I heard your uncle has a thousand or like what is going is going to happen. And and honestly, who she allies with might determine more of her villainy, right? Because like Yara and Theon were like yay, but if she's like oh hey Euron, who like according to this new chapter from George R. R. Martin is like the super rapiest guy that's ever raped in all of A Song of Ice and Fire, I want his ship, so I will deal with him. You know, I don't know. Well, she could just also like Neil's saying, scout it out and just fly over the Iron Islands, like land on one, <laughs> like engulf the others in the wingspan of her dragon, and be like, give me the ships. And Euron will be like, but my penis. And then she'll burn <laughs> <it>. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, that is that is some dialogue the show could write. Yes, yes. Um, should we, so we, we feel like we're getting the Hound. And we know we're getting Ian McShane. Well, we think we're getting Ian McShane and the Hound next week. Um, mm. I, was, I was telling Neil and Dave off air that a new... Uh, HBO Emmy screener package revealed that Ian McShane's character's name is Ray, which I just hope they never say in the show. <laughs> um, it might be a code name, as, as Neil points out, but it's but Ray it, Maribald. But be prepared if he shows up and he's like, "Yo, yo, yo, my name is Ray." I don't know why he would, because Ian McShane's <laughs> British, but he might. I don't know. I feel like Ray is in Brooklyn getting pizza. Like what? It, I don't know. Maybe it's girls influence, but um, yeah. So that's coming. What else do we think is happening next week? Siege of River Run. Siege of River Run. I get to see the, the little, uh, the little, the little girl who runs the, the, the Northern t- house. The little girl yeah. bear, bear Mormont. Yes. Yes. Uh, Liana Mormont. Her name is Liana. Nice. I, I, um, I, I know that. Um, <laughs> No, I just it's fun to point out because we're going to get is. a lot of Liana stuff later in this it's season. It's true. It's true. Um, so the Sansa and John are going to meet with the Mormonts and the Glovers based on the yes. banners. Because we yes. are banner phobes or banner files. What is loving of banners? Banner files? Yeah, banner files. Yeah. Banner, files. banner phobes would be like we're afraid of flags. Banners. Yeah. So um, I don't know. And I feel like there's a whole lot that's not in there. Like, like Lady Stoneheart. She's not in there. She's not in the next week on. <laughs> totally in the episode. Well, you can't um, leave Arya's story where it is and not pick it up next week, which we didn't see in the next one either. Which I'm assuming is going to be. Although a chunk of it. there is, you 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 normally uh, logic would say that you're right, Dave. But there there was a, and I don't know if we believe this. Joanna's probably going to s- correct me here in a second, but let me no just get what first. Uh, there was a <laughs> there was a pseudo leak from one of the foreign what people thought was one of the foreign 
cable companies about the last three episodes. Oh, yeah. And what their titles were going to be. And yes. Episode seven, they said, was no one. Episode, no, wait, yeah. No, wait, episode seven is The Broken Man. Episode right. eight is no one. Episode right. nine is The Battle of the Bastards, which feels right. really on the nose. And then episode 10 is The Winds of Winter, which yeah. feels right for what we think we know about how the season's going to end. Um, so if that's the case, we may not see Arya again until episode eight. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's going to be weird to like, is she going to be cowering in that corner with needle for an entire episode? But I think if Arya's going to have a big moment, it's going to be in the episode titled no one. So yeah, we're going to see a lot of mustering of Northern houses and, uh, yeah, we're going to Deepwood Mott. We're going to bear Island. Uh, Oh, we're going to see Tormund trying to rally the, the wildlings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if we're getting, are we getting King's Landing stuff? It might just be River. I mean, there's a lot to do in River Run. So I think it's going to be a lot of River Run stuff. There's a lot of River Lands stuff, I think. Yes. And yeah. if they, they could show some Brienne stuff, I don't think that that's stuff you can put in the next week on, Brienne and Pod traveling through the Riverlands, because it gives away, like, Ian McShane's character and potentially a meeting with the Brotherhood. So, you know, that feels like something is easily left out of the next week on. Yeah. I think that's oh, true. Oh, man. We're going to see an episode where the Hound returns and also not see Arya. I think we got I think we got to wrap up some Arya. <laughs> I think no, no one, one might be maybe going to Westeros, but I think getting out of the house is Or maybe gonna, no one also re- is uh, is connected to the Gravedigger and the Hound because he's no one now as well. Ooh, good point. So maybe the Broken Man is a like a fake, a fake out. Well, the broken man is all about Septon Maribald's. It's it's the speech he gives. But you don't think? But uh, like McShane, I think is only literally in one episode, and he has said that he is like involved in bringing the Hound back. So I feel like mm. you're not going to have McShane in episode seven and the Hound in episode eight. Well, right, like, but you could have like the Hound come back in episode seven, wrap up whatever, and have no one in the Clegane Bowl in episode eight. <laughs> The timing I'm just saying in terms work, of economy, again, it's, it's doable. Then again, Yara and Theon did go across the world in one episode. So, Oh, yeah, we got a lot of feedback about our question of whether or not Eritheros was round or not. A lot of, a lot of map enthusiasts weighing in on mm-hmm. this. Um, Although, didn't we figure out on Twitter that it was, it's obviously a Dyson Sphere? Yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously, that was the obvious solution from the beginning. But like, like I pointed out credits. on Twitter, it's, it's a... who who blinks out the central sun every every night? The great and someone, yeah, someone said magic. So yeah. All right. I think we should, uh, unless we have more to say, I think we should end with one of the random listener questions that we got. Let's do it. Um, this one is from at Swedgeland. I hope that's right. Um, this is just kind of a fun predictor, and I think this is a good time to do it because we have uh, a couple episodes left. Who will sit on the Iron Throne at the beginning of season seven? Like, who will be there? And I guess the better, potentially better question is: Will there be an Iron Throne? When yeah, I was gonna starts? say, I was gonna say a pile of ashes. <laughs> That's my prediction. <laughs> so we think a King pile burn? of ashes. Um, I think part of it's gonna burn. Uh, yeah. That's my, I'm uh, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm going hard on pile of ashes. What do you think? Yes. Dave? Um, 
Can't be a Lannister. Uh, unless it's Kevin. That's That would seem weird, though. Marjorie? Marjorie would be good. That would at least set the ground rule for girl power season, you know, going through. Uh, but yeah, you know what? Yes, Marjorie. Going to go with Marjorie. Mm-hmm. Cersei's going to die, though. You know what I think? I think Tommen survives. Till the end? Till the Well, till season seven, at least. Maybe. Yeah. I think Tommen makes it, makes it through this season and is still uh, on the on the throne. Or still in power, at least, if the throne has been burnt. Because I think I like Joanna's theory of it being burned at some point. Can you imagine that if they blew up King's Landing and took down the wall? <laughs> the same episode. <laughs> the same finale. <laughs> That'd be great. It would make our off-season t-shirt like impossible to guess about what it should be about. <laughs> but it'd be really fun. It would just be like <laughs> explosions and ice shards and just like, yeah. Yep. No, nice. I think I think... I think we're working, I mean, please feel free to send us t-shirt suggestions, but I think we're probably headed towards um, Cold Hands, Stone Heart, Can't Lose, right? Like A lot of that depends on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of doing a Hamilton uh, dragons and ships uh, riff. Uh, I will um. say, Dave and I wrote a whole, or Dave wrote a whole, we were planning a whole Hamilton Game of Thrones mashup before that Twitter thing caught on last week, weeks ago. We had a plan. We might still do it. I don't know. Did I just blow that? You can uh, you can edit that out if I just blew it. Those are production spoilers. (laughs) No, it's fun. Who knows what the future holds? Except maybe Bran on next week's Game of Thrones. Until then, where can people find you on the internet? Let's continue the tradition of starting with Neil. Uh, You can find me at filmschoolrejects.com. You can uh, read my tweets at rejects. And then uh, follow us on at Storm of Spoilers. I tweet there a lot, too. Joanna? I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. And you can hear me talking about Game of Thrones over on Cast of Kings. I'm Dave Gonzalez on Twitter at DA70. This week at FightingInTheWarRoom.com, we have two Thought Bubble episodes, a Fighting in the War Room episode, this episode of Storm of Spoilers that you've heard, and a review episode of a movie that opens this week. So if you have not got on the bandwagon of our family podcasts, I suggest giving it a try this week. Next week, actually, if you're a fan of Voltron, you might want to stick around the feed Ooh, as well. yeah. Hints! Uh, but until next time, uh, what, what, what do we decide? That's not Gendry's boat? Not Gendry's boat. Sorry, guys. <laughs>